Hello and welcome to Bring Your Own Popcorn. Let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire as we spiral down memory lane with cult classics, Jurassics, and other genres that rhyme with traffic. What we lack in education, we make up for with comedy, compassion, and camaraderie. I'm your host, Mixtape Majesty, here today with a very special guest, comedian, beautiful new mom of a beautiful new baby, podcast host of It's Crazy You're in My Business with Tavi, Becky Lynn. That's me! (laughs) Hi! Thank you so much for being here, Becky. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So you've chosen a delightful movie for us to talk about today. Before we get into that, I'm first going to get a little background about what kind of movie watcher you are. Okay. So our first question for that is, what was the first movie that you remember seeing in movie theaters? The very first movie I remember seeing is The Little Mermaid. My sister took me, I think I was like four. And (laughs) this is what I do remember. (laughs) I remember going to the movie theaters. I remember going to the counter. My sister got me a box of Junior Mints. I remember eating Junior Mints. I remember having a handful of junior mints. I remember falling asleep and then waking up covered in like <laughs> junior mint mess all over my face, <laughs> all over, like clenched in my hands. My sister was pissed. It was, <laughs> so that's my first memory. That is it's the best. And I'm such a, I was such a like hated being dirty or like messy or sticky as a kid. So I know I was hysterical because I was just like very sticky and uncomfortable. So my sister was mad. I was mad. It was a mess. Oh no. (laughs) Did you have like a bad minty association with the movie theaters after that? No, but I think my sister did. (laughs) (laughs) How much older was your sister? She's like 20 years older than me. So quite a bit older. Oh, okay. She had kids. Like at the time that she took me, it was just like she was taking me for like for my first experience. And I feel like after that, she didn't take me to the movies again for like four or five years. Aww. Like it was, she eventually did take me again, but I think that she realized I was too young yeah. to like stay awake during the whole movie. I think it was, you know, uh, poor planning to take me to the movies like during what would have been my nap time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe some poor planning there. <laughs> but it's a story she loves to remind me of. Often. Yeah. <laughs> Can you still eat Junior Mints now? Does it remind you of that? Oh, I love Junior Mints. Yeah. Nice. I still very much am on board with them. Is that still like your go-to movie theater snack? Yeah, I do. I will typically do like two candies. So I want like a chocolatey candy, a fruity candy, and then an insane amount of popcorn with extra butter and salt. Hell yeah. That's so smart all the flavors. Um, So that was, you saw that with your much older sister. Mm -hmm. What was the first movie that you saw in theaters without any parents or supervising adults? I didn't. Okay. So like, I'm going to preface this by saying that like, I grew up in the Bay area and then we moved. And once we moved, we lived in like on a ranch, like very far out of town. So I was like an hour away from the closest movie. I did not grow up going to the movies often. Like I went back one time when I was a kid and then really like didn't go for a really, really long time. So probably the first movie that I actually remember seeing in theaters without a parent I think might have been super bad oh wow (laughs) yeah like it was it was like not that well I mean still a long time ago but like not that long ago yeah so were you like in high school or college somewhere between junior year and a year out of high school I don't remember when super bad came out but it was in like the early somewhere between like 2006 and 2009 yeah I think I was in high school I think we're the same age so yeah yeah high school time what do you remember about that time like was it with friends or yeah I went with my cousin and a bunch of our friends and her boyfriend and it was very fun I think we might have smoked a little bit of weed before we went (laughs) so it was it was just like a very like (laughs) 
very like yeah just young adult movie experience and it was it was hilarious it's always hilarious going to the movies with my cousin I think about it now because she just she's one of those people that laughs when nobody else laughs <laughs> and her boyfriend and I were like whenever we went to the movies with her would be like oh my god she's doing it again and now as an adult I'm the one that does that we're like I'll laugh <laughs> when nobody else is laughing and I'm like oh she was just ahead of the curve it's fine <laughs> Wait, are you doing it? Do you do it consciously because you're like, oh, someone needs to laugh at this? Or is it more like unconscious? No, I just, yeah, it's unconscious. And it was unconscious <laughs> when she did it too. It was just like catching a joke like other people don't catch oh. or just like seeing the absurdity of something or like a continuity error. Like some, I don't know. <laughs> but I will just like, yeah, I won't even think about it. It just like comes out before I can control it. Gotcha. Well, that's good to have. Keep the, yeah. keep the vibes going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> other than the movie that we're talking about today, can you tell me one of your favorite Favorite movies of all time and why it's one of your favorites I love I have two <laughs> yeah and they're so different they're so different I love, love Finding Nemo Finding Nemo is like one of my favorite movies I really really just like love it I think it's so well done and just like so unique to like watch a movie like that I, I, I just I really love it I also really love Dazed and Confused mm. <laughs> because it's just like so dumb <laughs> and I think it's so representative of what it means what it's like growing up in like a really small town area like what a you know Friday night looks like in an area that doesn't have a lot going on mm. and I like being from like such a small town I just think that it, it really nails it and it's hilarious and like so messy and so full of just the dumbest shit I really enjoy that yeah those are my two probably all-time favorites nice can you tell me more about what you love about Finding Nemo is it like the themes or the fish <laughs> yeah I think I like the fish um I like that it it just to me is like very like heartwarming and silly I think it's an easy watch like it obviously has you know I mean in true Pixar fashion starts by ripping your heart out uh, <laughs> <laughs> I but I do think that it just has like such a good balance of like humor and lightheartedness and also like pretty like serious undertones about like parenting and letting go I feel like as we get older we start to like reflect back on movies that we liked and when we liked them and why we like them now which I'm sure we'll talk about as we go on in this podcast I feel like finding Nemo has something for everybody at every experience, every stage in life that you're in. I think it's a really well-rounded film. Totally. I love that. Overall, how would you describe your relationship with movies? Like, is it more casual or do you think they're they're life-changing? I think I have a more casual relationship with movies, but I think it's because I have a very intense relationship with television. Mm. <laughs> so I really love like series TV. And I think it's just because I love a more like in-depth exploration of storyline that series just tend to provide better than film does. Mm -hmm. So I think my relationship, yes, it's casual but I also feel like I look at movies to like serve a need whatever I need in that moment like there's definitely movies that I'll watch for like comfort or for nostalgia you know some that are soothing uh, movies that I'll watch if I just need to cry like I think in that way I guess they can be like impactful I don't know that a movie's ever changed my life but I think that movies have always served like a really important purpose for me but the purpose may always be changing yeah I love that that, that makes a lot of sense I'm not Siri thought we talked to her. <laughs> I just looked at my watch and it was like the whole three paragraphs of what I just said. And Siri was like, I'm not sure I understand. Of course you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't understand that, Siri. She does not have that kind of depth yet. Right. Not yet. <laughs> this is the space where the ads go.
Welcome to the Phantom Jukebox. I'm Ty. And I'm Joe. And we're two musicians that dive into the world of music, its myths, conspiracies, and bizarre music history. We discuss things like, did Elvis fake his own death? Is Stevie Wonder really blind? Is Dolly Parton's husband actually real? Find out all that and more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or your favorite streaming service. Hi, I'm Milk, and this is a promo for my podcast, Nymphomercial, where me and my co-host review hentai, both enthusiastically and regrettably. So if that sounds like a good time to you, find Nymphomercial wherever you get podcasts. I'm Aubrey. I'm Dennis. And I'm Johnny. Every other Tuesday, we take an in-depth and humorous look at different comic books. We're talking indie comics, capes and cowls, and everything in between. Graphic Novel Explorers Club is available on all platforms. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends, you nerd. (laughs) So... We're going to get into our feature film that you chose for us to look at today. This movie is loosely based on its writer and director, Jesse Nelson's own life. Jesse Nelson is a white woman who lost her mother in a car accident when Jesse was three. Um, Her dad then hired a 70-year-old black nanny who helped Jesse work through her grief. In the movie, she said that she took 35 years off the age of her nanny in order to inject dramatic and romantic tension. She, as a child, Jesse had hoped that her father would marry her beloved nanny despite the age and racial differences and it being the 50s, the racial tensions at the time caused by white people being fucking racist made that (laughs) difficult. I assume that's a direct quote. Yeah, (laughs) direct quote. (laughs) (laughs) So in a way, the story of this movie allowed Jessie to kind of rewrite her own history into a heartwarming tale. But getting this movie off the ground was an uphill battle. Getting the financing was very difficult. And the people who funded the movie wanted a, quote, conventionally beautiful actress or model in the lead role of the nanny. But when these money men met Whoopi Goldberg, they were moved by her approach and performance. Whoopi told them, if you cast me, it really will be a love story. When people fall in love with me, they fall in love with my soul. Even so, it still took four more years before New Line Cinema stepped in and agreed to finance and distribute this movie. We are talking about the 1994 film, which has a lucky audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of 69%. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. (laughs) This movie is Karina Karina, starring Whoopi Goldberg and Ray Liotta. Thanks so much for picking this movie, Becky. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy. It's such a, it's so good. But also, like, I'm so fully in love with both of them. <laughs> like, yeah. How could I not? Yes. You know. <laughs> amazing, amazing leads. They both are so charismatic and good looking. Just yeah. <laughs> Can you please give me a brief summary of the chosen movie in your own words? Just what happens in the movie and spoilers are totally okay. This movie is. <laughs> I'm just like trying to put I've watched it so many dozens of times (laughs) but like specifically as a kid yeah and I just recently watched it as an adult to make sure that I fully remembered all of it Mm -hmm. but yeah it's a story about a child an eight-year-old girl um navigating the grief of losing her mother 
and also forming this like really strong bond with the black housekeeper slash nanny that her father hired to help guide her through this and you know then slowly we see like a love story unfold and it sheds a lot of light on I would say sheds some light on you know racial inequality racial inequity racism bigotry ignorance uh, throughout the film but that's also one of the one of the things that I really enjoy about it yeah is that it's not the heart of the film is not it's not racism mm-hmm. but it's still very much a reality of the storyline yeah yeah I agree. That was one of my favorite things about watching this. Like I said, I I found it delightful. I know that a lot of critics, including what's his face, Ebert or whatever, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a lot of critics had stuff to say about it, such as like, oh, it's not realistic because it would have been, you know, so much harder. Like it doesn't really accurately portray how racist those times were and blah, 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 blah. I totally disagree because I mean, yes, yes, it doesn't. But like, hello, how many white romances are there where they just get to fuck off and be heartwarming? Like, not everything yeah. about Black people has to be a tragedy. <laughs> like, yeah. let us have something think, yeah. joyful. <laughs> people get so fixated on producing trauma porn mm-hmm. and on making that such an important part of the storyline. And anybody, I feel like, like Black folks watching this film know know the racism, know the nuance, know that this is, know what that time looked like enough to be able to be suspended in this story and just see what was happening. And I really just think that that is a really beautiful approach for like what is a drama romance, you know, that should just be able to exist. Yeah, where you're not usually asking rom-coms and romances to be realistic. Yeah. (laughs) They're not asking that from other movies. Right. I guess like what I enjoy about it specifically too is that there is so much more focus on Whoopi Goldberg and where she's from and what her home life looks like and what her family dynamic is. Like it feels like it's one of those films that it's such an even split where it could have just been about about Molly's experience with Karina. It could have just been them and then what life was like with Ray Liotta, right? It could have just been like that family dynamic, the whole film. It didn't have to delve into what Karina's life was outside of that. And I'm so happy that that is what we get to see. Like that there was just like such a, to me, positive representation of Karina's life outside of being a maid and a nanny. And I just, yeah, I really, I just think it's it's pretty well done. For, For 93? pretty well done. <laughs> yeah, I agree. For the most part, I, I feel like it held up. I think there's one moment that we, I don't know, we might talk about later that okay, I was yeah. like, mm, they could have left that out. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a few for me, but yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> the, you were talking about the family life and that was one of my favorite parts about the movie was seeing Whoopi's family. So we cut back to like her family and I think it's her sister. Yes. Jennifer Lewis. Yeah. yeah. She's like very yeah. protective of her and the relationship between them is just great all the the scenes the dialogue is like really good like it just is very real and then all the little kids that live at Whoopi's house they're so So cute cute. Percy yes (laughs) Percy (laughs) they're just so funny yeah oh my gosh great very well casted those kids were yeah because I got the sense that it maybe that wasn't necessarily in the script like it felt like those kids might have just been being themselves (laughs) yeah Yeah, just playing (laughs) yeah 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 
Yeah. So fun. Do you remember, cause you said you've seen it so many times as a kid, but do you remember the first time that you watched it? Like where, who you were with when, what was your response then versus now? So what I think is so interesting about, I guess, my relationship with this film is that I grew up, I'm transracially adopted. So I grew up in a white family. My family, my parents were big campers. My parents had a motorhome. We would go camping a lot, like on the weekends. In my parents' motorhome, they had like a TV with a VCR. And so when they would put me down to go to bed so that they could like stay up and drink, they would always put on a movie. And in the motorhome, we only had like three movies. And it was Homeward Bound, The Flintstones, and Karina Karina. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I was like rotating through those three. And I think that like, and Karina Karina wasn't even one that I was supposed to watch. I Oh, and Twister. So it was like two for me and two for them, right? And yeah, I was at the time, I think I was like five or six, too young to watch Twister. And I'd already seen Homeward Bound so many times. I think my parents had decided like, oh, she's old enough to watch Karina Karina. So we had watched it together. And, but I also think that like, that was one of the few films. I think for my parents, it was very, they weren't the most thoughtful in finding media with like black representation. Mm. I don't necessarily fault them for that. I don't know that, I don't think that it would have been their instinct, their instinct to think of doing that without someone telling them. Mm. There was not a lot of like movies that my parents owned that had black people in them and so um I think that was like part of the reason why that was the one that we watched was like oh this movie has like a black female lead like this will this is a good movie to watch it addresses racism it you know interracial relationships like all of that so I think that in their mind like the content was there so we I remember watching it with them I think it was like five or six was the very first time I don't we didn't really talk about it because at the time I was so young, it would have, I don't know that talking about like movies or things that we watched was like a thing I did with my parents yet. But I remember like heavily identifying with the little girl with Molly because like at the time my parents were both heavy smokers. Mm. That is like a through line in the film, you know, where she's like, she sees the Wait Late show and they talk about like one in 10 men will die from lung cancer as a direct result of smoking cigarettes. So she starts like hiding her dad's cigarettes everywhere and like getting upset because she's scared, you know, that he's going to die after her mom dies. So I remember just like relating a lot with this little girl because I was a little girl watching the film. That's why I like probably why I love it so much is that I feel like I've grown up with this movie in that there was this transition of like me watching it as a little girl through the eyes of like the same little girl in it. And so like, I was more relating to her logic and her fear. And like, also just like watching her play with little kids was like how I would play with little kids. So it was like, I was really just watching it for these moments that I related to as a child. And then as I got a little bit older, I started fully like comprehending kind of like the magnitude of the story and everything that was going on outside of just like a little girl trying to live her life during a really like traumatic time. Yeah. Did you ever take a page from Molly's book and hide your parents' cigarettes? Oh, no, because I think the difference <laughs> the difference between that movie, the difference between Ray Liotta and my parents is my parents were not scared to hit. You know? Oh, gotcha. So like, <laughs> no, I would never have been uh, dumb enough to do that. It wasn't worth compromising my own personal safety. Yes, very fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned like Molly is processing grief throughout this movie. And another thing that I liked about the movie or that is really interesting about the movie is that it's covering a really tragic thing like losing a parent is like a very tragic thing and yet this movie will have you laughing like every three minutes yeah like even though it's this tragic thing and part of that part of that is a script and then part of that is just Whoopi and I think Ray to a lesser degree but Whoopi is just 
so charismatic, a, a scene stealer, hilarious. A lot of what she did also found felt like it was just like, oh, that's just her. Like, I don't think yeah. they wrote that in the script. Like, totally. she, that's her. Yeah. And that's what I, that is another thing that I really like about it is that it is, it is very comedic. It's just not like overtly comedic, I guess. Because like, I think about like the scene, it's Karina's first day when they go to the drive-in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she like, <laughs> when... Whoopi turns to like the the waitress that came up to take their order and was just like get in the back like I just <laughs> so it's just like those it's so funny to yeah. me these like these scenes that have, they're so hilarious I mean even in the beginning because I guess there are like also when it's the um conversation that's happening at the funeral in the first scene you see like these really you know thoughtful kind words being shared and then also just like the hilarity of like this it, it's from the child's perspective so she's under the table just looking at all these pantyhose legs and you see women with like runs on their pantyhose and baggy pantyhose and like bad shoes and it's just so funny and I just love it I really yeah I really love this film I have to stop saying it <laughs> it's just so cute and sweet yeah I agree like that I honestly I was hooked from that opening scene because I was like what a cool way to start a movie it, the movie starts under a table and you're just seeing feet yeah and you're like interesting I'm not really sure what's going on and then you find out it's from the perspective of, of a little girl who's hiding under a table at a funeral which that just a brilliant idea to start it like from her perspective under a table so cool yeah and I'm and sure I, I'm sure yeah that's like a direct it had to have been just the experience right of mm-hmm the writer and director so like so neat I love that very cool would you say that this movie has has changed or significantly impacted your life at all you know I think reflecting on it has impacted my life in that I am realizing that we really just don't have a lot of media at least that I'm aware of that really navigate or that really shows children navigating grief in a way that this film does, in a way that is not just full of tragedy and, you know, isn't just full of like acting out and feeling isolated and alone or, you know, turning to something like terrible and horrific. I wish that there was, I don't want to say that there was more media that normalizes, you know, children losing a parent because I don't know that's a thing that should ever be perceived as normal. But I think, yeah, just shedding more light on the fact that like a lot of people are living with this experience. And that I'm also considering that as somebody who like my parents are no longer living. And I'm, I guess, in what is maybe like a less jarring experience because I'm in my 30s and it's happened within the last, you know, seven years, eight years. Yeah, I always think about like kids that are losing parents and that there's not a lot for them. It, that's what it makes me think a lot about. Yeah. I, I don't know if I answered your question. Did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. Okay. <laughs> the impact of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like part of why this movie did such a good job of it is exactly because Jesse Nelson was drawing from her own life. Mm-hmm. So she was able to show a realistic depiction of that. Yeah. Which we need more of in general, like people telling their own stories. Mm-hmm. Also to add to that, as far as like the impact, I do just to, like touch on sort of like the racial dynamic of this film again. Like I like the film because of the fact that it doesn't like rely so heavily on like how brutal racism was and how dangerous racism was in the 50s. Also do though think that it's important to acknowledge that this movie depicted a lot of microaggression. Mm -hmm. I think well before 
the term microaggression was like a part of our lexicon, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, at least like, you know, heavily being used and like discussed because like there were just so many moments such as like when I can't remember the character's name, but like that woman that was like trying to bang Molly's dad came over to surprise him because he had gotten, you know, got a cow at work. Yeah. And she brought the bottle of champagne and then like called Karina the wrong name, asked her to go get, put it on ice and get two glasses. And then also like when they're out for dinner and the the man that was there like grabbed her by the arm, assuming that she was a server. Mm-hmm. And I think moments like that are kind of like evergreen and that that doesn't ever go away. That is like a constant like lived experience of Black people. And so I think that's something that I did appreciate about the film is that the attention that it did draw to racism and inequality and the experience of what it means to like live as a Black person in America, I think was depicted in such an accurate way that is pretty timeless which is just like this constant assumption that you are you know, a second class citizen and that it is okay to like treat you with a certain level of like, like that you are to be of service to white people all the time and not even necessarily physically, but like emotionally to be of service, to be relied upon. And I think just the fact that like that was the job that Whoopi's character was there to provide. Like Karina was there to be of service to this white family. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I really do appreciate about the film is I don't think that it shied away from racism. I just think that it shied away from like what was the most overt racism of that time. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that like this was in, I believe this was in California, Mm -hmm. but it's not like it was, it wasn't in like Arkansas or like Alabama or in spaces where, yeah, it was very incredibly unsafe and your life was constantly at risk as like a black person just trying to survive. I think that the, this storyline was taking place somewhere different. And that is also why it was being depicted the way it was. Yeah. Yeah. You made me think of how the story of this movie has a big risk of being so problematic, especially because it is written and directed by a white woman. Mm -hmm. And it's just really impressive the way they were able to kind of straddle the line because of because of the fact that, yeah, Whoopi is there to is is being hired by them and is working for them and then is also providing emotional support. There's all these very sweet scenes where she's helping Molly process her grief and everything. But it's also like she's an independent human being who has her own life and her own family too. Right. And it's it's very much like such this interesting thing where you hire this person to like watch your kid and clean. And yet they also have to do this, uh, all this emotional labor that's unspoken and like uncelebrated. Mm-hmm. And this movie was able to show that instead of just like a white savior story or like a, there's so many other ways it could have gone that thank God exactly. it didn't go. And I, and I feel like I, and I really don't know because this movie, you know, came out in like 93 or 94, we were kindergarten age or younger, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, I don't know what the media buzz was surrounding this film like at the time. But to me, like, I'm confident in making the assumption that the film that we're seeing is probably not which you had mentioned before, like the film that we're seeing is probably not the screenplay that was written, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure that like having Whoopi Goldberg there, I'm sure that there were points there had to have been where she was like yeah I'm not saying that or like this is not how this would have happened Mm -hmm. so I'm hopeful that like a lot of that she had like a maybe not a lot of influence but a fair amount of influence to make sure that this was you know being accurately represented and I just love that I really love this movie yeah (laughs) me too I really enjoyed it yeah but there are some you know like problematic parts in it too (laughs) 
Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask because you mentioned, I mentioned there was one, there's at least one scene that pops out to me where I'm like, that could have gone or at least been very different Uh, for you. What were the scenes that that you wish that were gone or different? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that the part where Molly tells, I mean, there's a few. The first one that definitely could have gone, though the scene did its best to like recover. um, Mm -hmm. When Molly turns to one of the little girls when they're singing in the choir, Mm-hmm. and is like and says like I'm a lover too mm-hmm. you remember that I was like that's, that's exactly what I was talking about yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like we didn't need that like, nah. that's, that's and I, I do love like the conversation that surrounded it and these kids sort of like working through that it could have been like quite literally any other term yes <laughs> I don't know that we needed to pay a seven-year-old to say the n-word on screen didn't like that uh, I also didn't like And this, I think, was really like a sign of the times. I think that 90s and the early 2000s, and well, really any time before now, it was very popular to to like incorporate fat shaming, the focus on weight in films. One of the little girls, I think it's addressed like very very early on that she is like, that she is a chubby child. The comments about how much she's eating at the dinner table and comments about how she would eat anything and like things like that, I think the movie could have very well done without. Mm -hmm. That's so common in so many films. And I will always see it as problematic. And it wasn't even just with the kids. There was also just like conversation that Whoopi had had with her sister about weight gain or like being too fat to wear something, things like that. While these conversations are, I think, normal conversations that women have, doesn't mean that they need to be reiterated by the media. Yeah. I'm less bothered by two adult women having that being scripted to have that conversation and more upset with like an adult man telling a child like, oh, you don't need to eat anymore. I don't love that. Yeah. But that could have, we could have lived without that in the movie. Definitely. Yeah, especially with children, because I witnessed the direct results of how that influences kids when when I was a kid and we watched Matilda at a birthday party. We were like nine or 10, I think. Mm -hmm. And we all watched Matilda. And there's a there's like a fat shaming scene in that. Yeah, the chocolate cake one. Exactly. The chocolate cake scene. And after the movie, like there was a lot of, you know, laughter and everyone just like laughing at this poor kid's expense just because they're fat during while we were watching it and then after the movie there was a chubby kid like at this party and the I think it was the birthday girl like made a comment about we were eating cake so it was a birthday party and she made a comment about our friend looking like the kid in the movie and then just all hell broke loose of course because she started crying and then we all had to right she had to pull the card of like well I didn't mean to hurt your feelings and it's just like such drama and it, yeah it was a really good example of how kids really do imitate what they see on screen and they really exactly. do take that in and perpetuate yeah. it and that I just uh, I forgot I didn't forget because I think about that every time I watch the movie Matilda which is also one of those movies that like I think soothes the soul for me in a certain way because like what a god Matilda is such a good movie yeah but yeah, very, very shitty. That whole scene mm-hmm. very much bothers me. And it's, I would say, almost more common in children's movies. Sort of like references about weight, about kids being chubby. And then they use it as like a contrast of like, you could be healthy or you could be fat as if you can't be both. Mm-hmm. So problematic. I didn't love that. That was definitely like a problem I noticed. I think there were other things I just didn't like, but I don't know that I would call them problematic as much as I think I would just call them indicative of the time, 1950s gender roles, you know, expectations and the like. I didn't love that Ray Liotta's character was just kind of like this bumbling fool of a father. Mm -hmm. Not bumbling fool, but like was so just kind of aloof. He was the primary breadwinner. He was away from the house while he was doing his best. And I get that. It's just, yeah, things should have never been like that. Yeah. 
but then we watch movies like that and then like oh it makes sense that there were so many women that were unhappy and that were you know taking medication and were just <laughs> doing their best to survive yeah because <laughs> they weren't allowed to divorce their husbands. yeah yeah this is yeah this has been great do you have anything else that you want to say about this movie to get people to watch it or just any other comments about it at all I would say that I really encourage I encourage everybody to watch this movie because obviously I think that it's so good. But I also feel like so rarely we get to see depictions of interracial relationships, specifically Black women and white men. And as somebody that's in an interracial relationship, as a Black woman that's in a relationship with a white man, I even am even more aware of how rarely we see this specific dynamic of a relationship. So I'd encourage people to watch it, if not just to see the depiction of this relationship as, you know, maybe something they just like haven't really seen before. I feel like it is like a unique, such a unique story. And I feel like it's really beautiful. I feel like, of course, it's flawed, like life and love and plenty of films are. But I think that, yeah, I think it's charming. And I think it's a really special film. And I think that this is a side of like Whoopi Goldberg that is that a lot of people might not have seen and deserve to see. Yeah, yeah, that's all I really, I think that's it. That wraps it up for me. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, Ray and Whoopi are both super hot in this movie. <laughs> God, they're so hot. They're <laughs> so hot in this movie. Oh my yeah. goodness. <laughs> and then Whoopi's outfits, like, so uh, good. Top tier. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, this has been a wonderful discussion. Thank you so much for uh, suggesting this movie so that I could see it. And thanks for being on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Yeah. If uh, if people would like to find you other than on your uh, your other podcast, It's Crazy You're In My Business, where else can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Oh That's Becky. I am a, I am a stand-up comedian. So if you are wanting to catch a show, I recommend clicking the link in my bio on Instagram. I have my link tree there. There's a tab that goes straight to my show schedule. If you want to check out an extended clip of my stand-up, you can go to my website at ohthatsbecky.com. Yeah, and come out to the show because I would love to see more people at shows I do. Hell yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. And remember, everyone, bring your own popcorn. Hello, surprise bonus content after the song. It pays to accidentally keep listening and not hit the stop button when the popcorn song starts. Oh boy, I'm popping in with a fun little story from the community that involves Becky Lynn, the wonderful, hilarious person that you just heard on this episode. I started doing stand-up comedy in 2020, in January 2020, right before lockdowns. That's right, I triggered the apocalypse. Oops, no regrets. I started doing stand-up after I took a stand-up class 
from a wonderful and also hilarious comedian named Amy Estes. After I took that class, I had my first show as a little graduation show. And wouldn't you know, the wonderful Miss Becky Lynn and her wonderful partner, Ben Rice, came to my first show. And they were two comedians that I was big fans of, that I had seen around at many shows, had no idea that they remembered who I was. And they showed up at my first show to support me and Amy and all the other little baby comics that were just starting out at this show. And that really, that really touched me and stuck with me. And that's the kind of people that Becky and Ben are. Backbone of the community, super sweet, genuine people. And I'm so excited that they are raising a baby because that baby is gonna be such a wonderful, amazing person, just like her parents. And also, she's the cutest little baby in the world. Sorry to all other babies. Sorry, not sorry. There can only be one. Also, if you need more content from this wonderful community, as mentioned in the episode, Becky does have a podcast. It's called It's Crazier in My Business with comedian Tavi, who is also extremely hilarious and lovely. And Ben Rice also has several podcasts, I believe. He's got Barley and Me Pod and Please Dunk Responsibly, and I think he's involved in uh, just tons of other community things. So many lovely people. Anyway, thanks for coming to this special bonus post-popcorn segment. Hope you have a wonderful day and remember to catch Becky at some local shows by going to ohthatsbecky.com to find her show dates and some comedy samples. Have a great rest of your day or night and remember to eat popcorn because it's tasty. Unless you don't like it, then you don't have to, but you should still bring your own popcorn.